Living Stones is a weekly conversation about living a truly Catholic life. Deacon Harold Burke Sivers and Ken Hellenius help you deepen your relationship with Christ and His Church, discussing practical ways to grow in faith, participate more fully in the liturgy, and practice charity towards all. Hello and welcome to Living Stones. I am your co-host, Ken Hellenius, sitting in the beautiful studios at the University of Notre Dame and sitting across from me, virtually, in his home studios in Portland, Oregon, is the original voice of Stay Puffed the Marshmallow Man in the movie Ghostbusters, Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Hello, Deacon. (laughs) Hey, Ken. I didn't think he had a voice. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, you caught me. (laughs) No, I think at some point he goes, ah. (laughs) You would remember that. I mean, that's the thing. You got paid union scale for it. That's that's very impressive. (laughs) Oh, golly. Uh, We have fun. How you been, Ken? Uh, I am well, thank you. Yeah, here we are. Uh, You know, the month of December is upon us, which means, I mean, students are in their finals week, uh, you know, kind of in these, it's crunch time. All those papers that they thought that uh, they didn't have to think about over the Thanksgiving break have now come to uh, come to bite them. So, uh, but uh, yeah, we're, things are good. Things are good. How about you? Yeah, doing well. You know, uh, my travel schedule is just about done for the rest of the year. I get back, uh, you know, obviously I'll be here from basically December 8th for the entire rest of the month of December. Sure. Have nothing else, nothing else planned. Just a couple of things in January and then February, <laughs> February, March, April, May, oh, got to hit the ground running again. But uh, of course, so I'm enjoying this time. And I got uh, some good news last week that uh, my book with Ignatius Press on the Catholic response to racism is out of the editing and into production. Oh, fantastic. Yeah. So I got an email from Mark Brumley, which I was very happy to receive. And he believes that the book is going to be a blessing to many people. So I'm I'm glad that he and Father Fessio enjoyed it, and uh, they made some very good comments. Some, you know, some me, some uh, things for me to to think about as far as uh, you know wording and stuff like that. And so I went ahead and made those changes, and uh, so now I'm working with a with a normal editor now. <laughs> you know, the you know the usual <laughs> yeah. the usual process. And uh, I did the acknowledgments and all that stuff, uh, the introduction, and I had uh, Michael Heinlein write the afterward. Sure. Editor the there book. at uh, OSV. Uh, no, he writes for OSV and Catholic yes. World Report, yeah. right? Yeah, he's he's yeah. a good friend, great great man of God. So I had him write the afterword, and I'm trying to find a bishop, like an Asian bishop, to do the forward. Hmm. I was thinking, you know, because obviously I'm black. If in case people listening doesn't know that, <laughs> right? <laughs> and right. so and Michael Heinlein, who wrote the afterword on, you know, six of the American um, men and women who are on the road to sainthood. Mm-hmm. I had him write the afterword. And I'm thinking, you know, I, I, you know, and I had Deacon Anvu in my last book. I had a Hispanic Deacon in my last book. So I thought, you know, I should try to get a, get a, um, a Asian Bishop to, to kind of write the forward. That kind of, you know, ties, going to tie that all together there so i'm i'm just thinking about who i can get yeah i know uh, you've done you've spoken in like haven't you spoken in like singapore yeah yeah i was thinking of maybe having um his excellency there but i'm still thinking i have to get the uh the next draft back from ignatius and now i'll uh and i'll give me time to think about who i could have 
do that forward. I think that'd be a nice way to kind of tie that all together. So it's not just black and white, you know, sure. it's, it's really representative of races in general. Yeah. That, that's my, that's my, hope. although I do engage black theology in a sense, you know, mm-hmm. um, in the book, because, you know, that's a dialogue I, I've wanted to engage in for a while. So I, I use this opportunity to, to do that, you know, so I, I think it'd be nice to kind of tie that in to have a bishop that's Asian, you know, so. Yeah. You know, it's really interesting is you're talking about this, you know, about kind of Catholic response to racism. And of course, we think about what I, I think about when I think about the church, I think about that moment on Pentecost Sunday, you know, when all the people are gathered there and they hear the rushing wind, they're gathered in Jerusalem for the for the Feast of Pentecost, which was, of course, originally also and still is a Jewish holiday as well. Um, although for a different reason for the church, we think of it as the birthday of the church, the Holy Spirit giving the ability to the apostles to preach in all languages, being both a symbol and a sign of the gospel being preached to the ends of the world, which clearly means that it's not just about tongues, but it's peoples from around the world. You know, these people who were gathered there in Jerusalem were themselves both natural, you know, kind of members, uh, you know, of the direct descendants of Abraham, as well as converts to Judaism, which means they clearly represented peoples from not just Semitic backgrounds. And that, of course, for us as the church, we, most of us are Gentiles who've been grafted in to this family tree. We've been grafted in as the gospel has been preached to the ends of the earth. And so I, I love what you're having to say here about it's not just, you know, a black and white thing when we speak about race. We're, we're talking about a church which is universal. And so a Catholic mm-hmm. response means really embracing all people who not only have already received the gospel, but for whom still need to have the gospel preached to them. And so it's really uh, lovely to think about this being also not just an American thing, but this, right. is, exactly. this is worldwide. Yeah. So my hope is that people will read it and see themselves and their stories in the book. Although, again, I'm writing from my perspective as a black man, but I'm hoping that, that people see themselves in their story in the pages of the book. So, yeah. And that's yeah. something, you know, I think about often with the the communion of saints itself. Right. Like just just a few weeks ago, for example, uh, it was a feast day that had like the church celebrated. What was the day? It was like the 22nd of November. The church celebrated the feast of St. Cecilia, who was a, an early Christian martyr uh, who was found in the catacombs. So she was a Roman citizen. It was also the feast of Our Lady of Lavang, who is the patroness of Vietnam. And it was the uh, feast of a blessed who was martyred in Poland, you know, and so you start to think about the fact that the church is literally, and the communion of saints, we recognize and honor those from around the world who have themselves given witness to the truth of the faith. And again, we've all had the gospel preached to us. We received the gift from the apostles. Christ was born at a specific time in Bethlehem of Judea. You know, and we hear this, we'll hear this upcoming in the Christmas proclamation, you know, in the fullness of time, in the 753rd year since the foundation of Rome, with the Emperor Augustus sitting on the throne and the 48th Olympiad, all these sorts of things. That's not the right number, 48. It was well more than that. But um, all these sorts of things that situate the fact that Jesus Christ, 
was incarnate of the Virgin Mary and born in Bethlehem of Judea means that he too had a specific experience of human life, but that his experience of human life was universal. I'm a white guy born in Seattle, Washington in the seventh decade of the 20th century. You know, you're a black man born, uh, you know, not even in the United States, came to the United States as a young man, raised in New Jersey, you know, went to college in Indiana, all these sorts of things. We have different experiences, but we share the same Christ, the same Redeemer. And that's the beautiful thing. And we are also called to holiness, to become saints. We're baptized into the communion of saints. It's our job to cooperate with the graces that we're given so that we too can be recognized as saints someday. But that's the joy. And that's one of the things that I love about, you know, gosh, we've been doing this show now for seven years together, something like that. And Mm -hmm. um, we, again, have radically different experiences growing up and different experiences of family and different experiences of of race and different experiences of education, all these sorts of things. But we share the most fundamental thing, which is being baptized into Christ. And so it's a joyful thing. Oh, it most certainly is. Absolutely. You know, and one of the points that I that I make in the book is that when I look at someone, I don't want to see color, you know, which sounds like a simplistic kind of euphemistic. Oh, come on. Everybody says that I don't want to see color. I don't want to see race. I want to, you know, but what I mean when I say that is when I look at someone, I don't want to preeminently think this person is white, this person is Hispanic. I want to see the image of God in the person standing in front of me, which then helps me to appreciate the gifts of their ethnicity and their and their cultural diversity. Now I'm able to appreciate that, brother, because I see the image and likeness of God in the person standing in front of me. So I that's one thing I drive home toward the end of the book, before right before the last chapter. And uh, at the end of chapter five, I make that point. I want to be very clear about that. Um, that I'm not negating someone's cultural ethnicity because of their color. I said when I when I say I don't want to see white. I don't want to see black. I don't want to see Hispanic or Asian. I want to see you. Does it negate, again, the color? All I'm saying is I want to see, because I'm able to see what God sees when he looks at you, I'm able to appreciate then the fullness of all the gifts that you bring to the table. I think that's uh, important. What a challenge and what a what a joy, though. I love it. And then I spent the last chapter talking about how we can do that. <laughs> I, oh, lay out, good. I lay out a process for like the person in the pew. Mm-hmm. And at the at the parish levels, I think this has to be a grassroots effort that the church can lead. So, yeah, maybe we can talk more about that when the book comes out next year. Yeah, I hope we can get the author on the show. That's what I. Yeah. Think. <laughs> I don't think that'll be too hard. I have to reach out to his <laughs> PR guy. So, yeah, fantastic. <laughs> well, you know, one of the common experiences that we have and we share as people of faith is the fact that we're all on this pilgrim journey together, on our journey to the kingdom of God. And for the last few weeks, we have been reading together a wonderful document from 1988 called The Pilgrimage in the Great Jubilee. And it was written in advance, of course, of the great celebration of the Great Jubilee of the year 2000 that Pope John Paul II had prepared the church for. And this document, however, remains relevant today because pilgrimage is a common experience of the Christian faithful. 
our homeland is not here. Our homeland is in heaven. Our homeland is in the place where Christ has gone before us to prepare a place for us in his father's house. And that's what this document is really about. And so we're going to pick up our conversation with paragraph 11, which is near the end of the section. It's kind of divided into a couple different sections. This section's on Christ's own pilgrimage, the pilgrimage of Jesus Christ in his own life. And paragraph 11 uh, speaks and begins talking about the final destination of Christ's own pilgrimage. And so that's where we pick up our conversation tonight. <laughs> yep. There's a movie called Final Destination, but it wasn't about pilgrimage. <laughs> <laughs> Is that one of those kind of like... Do you remember that? It was like a that, horror that, film that, or something with an airplane. Yeah, so that, that was the one where these kids were supposed to go on the, like a class trip to France or something like that. And at the last minute, this guy decides, no, there's something. He had a premonition that something was going to happen to the plane. So uh, a bu- they didn't get on and the plane did crash and everybody died. Oh, my God. But but death is going after them now because they were supposed to be on the plane. <laughs> so, so so the whole thing is about death setting up these scenarios where each of the teenagers begins to die because they're they were supposed to be there. They're not supposed to be alive. And it throws off the balance of the universe or something like that. So <laughs> <laughs> welcome to no, uh, tonight's right. show spoiler alerts uh, <laughs> yeah. yeah welcome to living well there were like yeah. three of, there were like three of those movies like three oh, final yeah, destinations yeah. or something like that so well there but, you go. but no but the final destination we're talking about of course as you mentioned is heaven and it says beautifully in that document therefore after having gone to teach all nations accompanied by the presence of Christ who is with us till the end of time right that so matthew 28 19 go and make disciples of all nations it's something we're supposed to do with our evangelical zeal, our love for Christ, to share Christ, to share our experience of him, to share our love with him to all the nations, right? So it's, it's something we don't keep to ourselves. So it's like we're asking people to accompany us on our pilgrimage of faith, right? So it's not just for Christians. We're, we're extending the invitation to all to come to be part of this journey with us, you know? And at the end of that pilgrimage, at the end of that journey— it says that we have a transcendent end. So an end that transcends um, our knowledge and experience of everything that we have in this world, uh, where we will be strangers and aliens no longer. You know, where Jesus has gone, as it says in the scriptures, to to prepare a, a room for us in the mansion mm-hmm. in heaven. So, yes, yeah, it's, it's a nice. So after we finish our pilgrimage journey on earth, we'll get a nice room in a mansion in heaven, and we'll spend the rest of our existence, honoring, praising, and glorifying God. And that, I think that's a, that's a pretty good way to, to live the rest of uh, existence. It is, although, of course, it gets, uh, it gets denigrated these days, right? I mean, people will kind of, in a way, dismiss the goal of heaven by being like, well, that sounds boring. You know, I don't even know how to play a harp, you know, things like this. You know? <laughs> um, and yet the reality is also, you know, Christ tells us, you know, I go to prepare a place for you in my father's house. But Paul also says, eye has not seen, ear has not heard what God has prepared for those who love him. And so, you know, and I think a lot, I've I've read a couple times over the past few years, Dante's Divine Comedy and Paradiso, the part that usually people don't read, to be honest. People get, get bogged down in Inferno and just think that, you know, it's 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 an incredible set of imagery. But Paradiso is itself also fantastic. And it's fantastic because it 
explores, you know, and you meet the saints. You meet literally the saints, those who are face-to-face with God, those who are there to praise. And it really does make you want to be holier. And this is one man's own, you know, this is the poet Dante's, you know, kind of vision and, and his attempt to explain, in many ways, the truths of the faith and make them attractive. And they truly are attractive. Now, I happen to be one who, having read this multiple times, uh, read the entire Divine Comedy multiple times, I am convinced that Dante was not just writing to be a poet. I think that he's actually relating an actual mystical experience that he puts into the words that, you know, that he is at, at the best. I mean, this is considered one of the finest poems, finest pieces of literature in all of human history. And I think it's because it, it is tinged with him sharing an actual experience that he's had that he even he has a tough time putting into words. Like at the very height of the poem at the end, as he's literally describing the Blessed Trinity, he says that words fail him. And that seems only appropriate, but it also seems like the real thing that somebody would write had they really had this experience. And it truly is beautiful. Reading it does make you want to be there. It makes you want to act in such a way and avail yourself of the sacraments in such a way that you too can be in this heavenly throng that is described as a mystical rose, that is described as with the the countless myriads upon myriads of angels. It's beautiful, beautiful poetry that really does create a beautiful image of desire in our hearts. Yeah, absolutely. And, you know, St. Thomas Aquinas experienced uh, this as well. You know, the reason why he didn't finish the Summa Theologica, uh, as voluminous as it is with all the volumes, he, (laughs) Mm -hmm. he didn't finish it. Because he was allowed to see a glimpse of him, just a brief glimpse of heaven. And he stopped writing. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I mean, imagine. He said what he saw was just so beyond anything that he could even imagine or describe that he it caused him to stop writing. Yeah. Because like everything I'm writing doesn't even begin to explain or, or to Compare. grasp or to really um, embody. Yeah. Yeah. Compared to what I experienced in that brief moment. And, and I was just, I, every time I hear it, it's like, wow. And, and so it does, it does actually fill me with hope. Um, Cause I mean, we talked about last week that that kind of fear and trepidation of the unknown, but then we balance it against what you're saying with Dante and with Thomas Aquinas, who've had these, these mystical experiences that actually give us hope that, that what we're going to experience is so beautiful that we'll never want to leave. And even the experience of some people that have out-of-body experiences um, where they're going toward the light, mm-hmm. many of them say that they had the feeling like they didn't want to come back. Yeah. You know, they, yeah. they were so attracted to, to to what was ever at the end of that light that they didn't want to come back. So I think that it does fill us with hope at the end of our, at the end of our journey. And we also use in our prayer the, the uh, phrase that death will be no more and there is no more mourning or sadness um, and as, as this document here at the end of paragraph 11 describes, it says, the world of the past has gone. You know, the former mm-hmm. things have passed away. And so what we hold on to now and long for and, and desire and enjoy here are surpassed by something, by the new creation, the recreated, the recapitulated creation, everything rebuilt in Christ, right? Everything already has been created through him and for him 
but he is the end of all things as well. Um, and we read in, you know, the book of Revelation, in the, the Revelation to St. John, the last book of the Bible, we see the new heaven and the new earth that are created in Christ, that are crowned by the heavenly Jerusalem, that are crowned by a Jerusalem which is the eternal city towards which all pilgrimage ends. All pilgrimage terminates in this heavenly Jerusalem that doesn't even have a temple in it because God himself is with us. We are with God. There is no longer a need for a temple, for a church, because we are with the God whose footstool is, you know, the temple now, the church now. Um, We're now with him, you know, at this mystical supper of the Lamb. So, we're using, and, and we're using English, we're using, you know, common language to describe something that Dante himself said, I, I ran out of words. I can't say it. I, I don't know. <laughs> I have no way to ex- to describe it. And even that, I realized, even describing now, I'm like, it sounds like that we we can't even put it into words. We don't know. That's a beautiful spot yeah. to be, to be honest. Because it makes yeah. me wonder. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. You know, and, and then in the next section, it talks about the pilgrimage of the church. That's right? us. So. Yeah, the, all of us on on the the church, the body of Christ pilgrimage as well, and and I, for me, I mean, I see glimpses of this. Um, obviously, when we go on actual pilgrimage, right? And mm-hmm. so, the church literally goes on pilgrimages to the holy sites, as we mentioned, the Holy Land, and to Fatima, and to Lourdes, and the Guadalupe, and and so many other wonderful places. Uh, and then I think of you know we talked about Christ pilgrimage, but we think of the 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 kind of the conflation of the two, our earthly pilgrimage with Christ's pilgrimage. So we see, for example, in the Holy Family, we see the pilgrimage of Mary to go visit her kinswoman Elizabeth, in mm-hmm. a sense, right? That mm-hmm. was a that was a long journey. And we've both been to the Holy Land, and that, that was a hike for a pregnant woman to, to go that far and then to climb that hill up to the yep. house there where, yep. the, where the visitation took place, you know. That, in a sense, was a pilgrimage. Mary's first instinct was to take Jesus out right was to bring him out into the world and when we leave mass in a sense we're pregnant you know in in a sense with the eucharist um and we our first instinct is to go out right we leave the church filled with word and sacrament you know to to bring the message of christ to others that's our that's our initial pilgrimage and then when they had the when jesus is born they had to flee into uh into africa you know i think of families today that have to flee their countries of origin and and you know, natural disasters or corruption or war, whatever it is, to go to other countries, you know. Um, you know, so again, that that pilgrimage experience of leaving your country and going to a, a new destination to find something, not just to, uh, to be safe, but to, to find d- deeper and richer meaning in, in life as well. You know, um, think of the pilgrimage that they uh, that the Holy Family took to Jerusalem. Every year when they lost Jesus when he was 12, but, right? but, but that pilgrimage every year, as we talked about last time, um, we go up, no matter what direction you're coming from, you always go up to Jerusalem, right? you know? Um, uh, and, uh, so again, we think about our pilgrimage through life as, as families too, you know, um, or even simple things like family vacations, you know, or dropping our kids off to college or, you know, mm-hmm. those, those journeys. And, it, and there's a pain at the end of the journey, right? Because you're sad because the vacation is over. Or you're sad because you have to leave your child, you know, uh, there uh, at school and they're no longer at home anymore. 
And I, <laughs> I remember when when uh, the Claire w- went off to college, and I, it was like we were having dinner, and uh, I said, "Someone go get Claire." And he said, "Daddy, she's gone." I'm like, "Oh yeah." <laughs> I just, it just escaped me that you know that she's not at the dinner table anymore. Right. She's not there anymore. And then Angela left, and it was just the twins. It's like, oh my goodness, <laughs> we're getting smaller here. It was just it was just an, an adjustment. You know, and just like the pilgrimage we just mentioned, we go to heaven, we're leaving people here on earth. You know, and there right. is that sense of sadness, there is that sense of loss, but also the joy of anticipation that we'll be re- reunited with them again. You know, so that's all part of the earthly pilgrimage that uh, that we're talking about now. Yeah, really you what you've described is pilgrimages that change us, right? When we leave from where we are and we travel, um, either we're going to leave people behind or we ourselves and we ourselves are changing as we go. Um, on a pilgrimage, which is a two-way trip where you go to someplace and then you come back, you come back a different person because you've had all of the experiences on the road. And when you reached the the goal of your destination, if that be, um, whether that be, you know, a trip to the Holy Land or a trip to Guadalupe and you, you pray with an intention and you come back and you have been away from your family and now your family is happy to see you and you're happy to see them so that you can share the joy of what you've experienced. But there is also an experience of loss and experience of sorrow while you're gone. Um, and this, and I think what you're describing also, when our children leave, when we, when a loved one passes away, there is sorrow in this journey. St. Paul talked about, I long to be with Christ, which means to be away from you. And so I'm torn. He's like, I, I want to go to heaven because to go to heaven means to be with Christ. But I also want to be with you, the church. I want to be with you, whom I pray with, who are my very heart. And, but that is to recognize that someday we shall all be together again, right? We shall be reunited in heaven. And that's why we have the prayers for our beloved dead, you know, that we did, of course, all last month throughout the month of November. That's why we, we remember our beloved dead in prayer, because it keeps them alive to us until we do see them again in the heavenly Jerusalem. Um, that's the goal of our pilgrimage. That's why we have this, you know, that's, that's why we go on pilgrimage uh, to remind us that this is a journey and that there is an, an, a goal towards which we work towards. Um, and so, Deacon... Believe it or not, we've reached the end of our time together on this little journey together, our half-hour <laughs> journey of faith known as Living Stones. And so uh, we have to wrap up for now, but we will be back for another little bit of the journey next week. We invite you to connect with us on Facebook at Living Stones Media, or you can also download previous episodes of the show and relive your favorite moments from other conversations by going to materdeiradio.com. But Deacon, until we gather next week, might we have a blessing. May mighty God bless you and keep you, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. We'll see you next week here on Living Stones. You've been listening to Living Stones with Ken Hellenius and Deacon Harold Burke Sivers. Living Stones is produced at the studios of Modern Day Radio in Portland, Oregon. 
For more information about this show, go to moderndayradio.com. That's M-A-T-E-R-D-E-I radio.com.